Hey there, welcome to the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline. I am the founder of the Game Art Institute, where we train artists for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing game artists to see what makes them tick and see how they got where they are today. So sit back, relax. I look forward to sharing their journey with you. All right. Okay. Welcome, everybody. And uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining me here. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Folks, I am here, not really in the studio, but virtually with Chris Zakowski. That's how you say your last name, right? Perfect. Perfect. All right. Great. I spent some time in Czech Republic. So I practiced on my consonants, my Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell me, Chris, the thing that got me interested in meeting with you is a talk you did at GDC. If anybody's watching this in the video form, we're actually looking at the GDC presentation and, and whatnot. But do you want to tell everyone just real quick, what was the purpose of that talk? And what was your goal in it? Because it's not something we hear often, I think. Yeah, sure. So the talk, I'm an independent game developer, and so I'm mm -hmm. always trying to market my games. And really what my talk was about is really how you have to build a community around whatever you're building. In my case, it's a game and trying to build more than just one game, you know, a bunch of people to follow me. But for any creative, really, to just kind of build that following so that from one thing that you make to the next, it's really hard on the in the internet to get attention. And once you do miraculously find somebody who likes you, you really want to bring them in close and carry them along with you mm -hmm. on your journey. And kind of what my talk was about was really how email marketing is sounds boring, but it's actually a really fun and very effective way of bringing uh, and building a community. Perfect. You know, there was so many things that I got that I just, I mean, I was, I was listening to that talk and I was like, you said it so well. There was that one time where you, you talked about the game developer who, who says, I'll never email you until I'm ready to sell you a game. And your example of that, do you mind going through your example of that? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I so lost um, my shit when you said that, I was like, that is perfect. <laughs> yeah. So it's really like, you know, people are afraid to shoot their own horn. They say, oh, don't, yeah. you know, just subscribe and, and I'll only email you when I uh, have a new game released. And it's, you know, if you, you would never do that to a regular person, like in real life, you know, if like you met somebody cool and you're like, hey, um, let's hang out. Here's my phone number. Why don't we hang out this weekend? And they said, no, no, I'm only going to call you when I need $20. <laughs> so you're like, so like, if you look at this relationship, like, People who subscribe and want to follow you, whether it's join your Twitter or join your email list, anything, they really want to hear from you. Like, and, and really, we should have more confidence that we do so much cool stuff that it's not this base transaction that's just about like 20 bucks or this. They really want to be along with us for the journey. So really, we've got to like have the confidence to say, yeah, I'm going to talk to you a lot. I'm going to show you a lot of stuff and I'm going to contact you all the time. And then just trust that people will want to be along for the journey. And if they don't, that's fine. Leave. I don't. I don't care. You know, you can follow me whatever way. But if you do want to follow me, you're going to hear a lot from me. Awesome. What do you say to people who are worried about that? Because you know, we'll talk about who the email marketing's for all that whole process. Because I, you know, I, in the olden days, I got started in email marketing like you know, shoot, probably ten years ago. And that back then, there was absolutely kind of there were some shady sides to it. What do you say to people who are worried about that, who are like, oh, I don't want to email market because, you know, then I'm spamming people? Yeah, it's really funny that, unfortunately, spam and, and the way, you know, kind of in the early days of the Internet, you know, spam really made the anytime you said email, you were like, oh, God, it's spam. You yeah. know, and it, yeah. that was just a real negative connotation. And really, and it's just, you know, back in the day, what they would do is they would just go out and scrape email addresses and anybody and they'd indiscriminately blast as many emails and as many people as they could with some weird marketing message for who knows what. Mm -hmm. um, but really what they've determined is that um, the best way to do it is, you know, this other side of email marketing. Yes, both spam and email marketing use email, but they couldn't be any more different because email marketing and the, the way I talk about it and what I'm trying to show other indie devs and other creatives is what they call permission marketing, where yeah. you don't get to talk to people unless they say, Yes, here's my email address. Please contact me. And you always respect their privacy so that if they say, you know, in every email you include an unsubscribe link, you're actually required by law. And if they unsubscribe, you just never contact them again. You say you 
to say, hey, see you later. And you go along your own way. And so I really like that because really it places the control of the relationship in the hands of the person who's subscribing to you. So you really have to earn their trust and you also have to keep it. So I really like that because it's, you know, it's just a, it's a good relationship. And I think too many people are just turned off by the word email and mm-hmm. marketing. Um, yeah. And so they just, without knowing fully what it is, just immediately say, that's not for me. So I think it's, just, I'm just trying to educate people about how positive a relationship it can be. Yeah, I've experienced it myself as an insanely positive experience. I mean, part of the reason why I'm still in doing what I'm doing is actually the replies I get to my emails. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's what originally got me to be so crazy about this. Like, I kind of did it just as like, I'll try anything, you know, to market my games. Right. And, you know, it just so happened that the one that just like brought it alive and, you know, all types of replies, and I've never gotten such responses until I did email marketing. And it's like, man, I wish I did this a lot earlier. You know, there were so many little side projects that I did that would have really just clicked so well with email marketing. I just, I just missed, I kicked myself that I didn't know about this stuff earlier. Do you have an example that really helped crystallize that for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I actually, I talked about this in my GDC talk, but, you know, I released a game in which I embedded the sign up right into the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called Zombie King. It was this mobile game. And, I, you know, my kid was like just born and I, I took paternity leave to take care of him while he was just a little infant. And so I'm answering support emails and, and a lot of my email marketing will kind of come in the form. A lot of people will email with support or just email and say good stuff. And this guy emails me and he's like, oh, yeah, my my son and I play this game all the time. And of course, I'm like just basting in like baby, like dad juices because I'm like taking care of my kid. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, I love being a dad. And then uh, here's this guy and he's talking about being a dad. And I'm like, whoa, you you have a son. I, I just had a son. And, you know, we I, I emailed him back and then he emailed me back. And we just had this back and forth just talking about, you know, being dads. And I eventually found out. The guy's got his kid is the exact same as my kid. And we like bonded over this. And it's really cool. I mean, it's just like, I think because it's so private, you know, email is one to one, like where on Twitter, you can have Twitter conversations, but they're kind of public if somebody like looks at the replies. So people are more open when it's an email because, you know, it's private. So it's just between me and this guy. So you kind of get better responses and just, you know, just this genuineness that you don't normally get. Yeah. That's so true. It is very one-on-one, you know, in, in that level, especially on the reply. So you're an independent game developer. Is that the primary mode of income you have, the way you operate today? No, actually, um, sadly, in, independent development can't carry the full load of, yeah. uh, you know, uh, raising a family. So I also do UX design, which if you don't know, it's uh, UX's user experience. So I work for a software company trying to make the product have this great experience. And it really does help with marketing because I'm always studying how people think about technology and how people, you know, uh, what they experience, what they like, what they don't like. And so I always bring whatever I learned from my software development days during the day job into how I market my games and how I build the games. So I'm really attuned to how people interface with technology. So it makes it actually very easy to, to make games after that. That makes sense. And UI UX is, I mean, it is a form of game, you know, you're trying to direct people a particular way. What got you into games, though? How long you been doing it? Well, okay. I've been a game designer my whole life, all right? I think back to, like, the first game I designed. Yeah. And it actually was, like, you have to go way back. I think I was four years old. <laughs> and I remember this clearly. I was uh, with my sister, and yeah. I was chasing her around the Christmas tree. I was trying yeah. to race her. Yeah. And I didn't have the conceptual brain to realize that I was lapping her because she was only like two years old and I was mm-hmm. four and I kept lapping her, but I couldn't figure out. I was like, wait a minute. I know I'm faster than her. And yet she keeps ending up in front of me. It was because I was really just running around so fast that she was back in front of me. And I just, <laughs> I was like, how do I change this rule set so that I win? And so like I created this game about running around the Christmas tree. And then I also kind of built the rules so that I would win. Uh-huh. And I, I really, I, I attribute that to my first game design. Yeah. Um, so like <laughs> since then, like, that's why I say I, I've done this my whole life as being a game designer. Like I'm all, I've always been the kid on the playground who made the rules for the games. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, this is a matter of fact that I eventually got into digitally making them, but, um, you know, I'd always make failed projects. Like when I was 15, I tried to make a game in basic and I got like the movement of the pieces to work. I was like this space shooter game, but nothing, there were no real rules. 
Um, But eventually, I mean, and then I took a big break, you know, when I went to college and stuff. And eventually I turned 30 and I was like, you know what? I'm really going to do this. Like, I need to do this to see if I can if I can release something. And so uh, at age 31, I finally released my first game and it, I released it on Xbox Indies. It was like this little sub platform on the Xbox uh, 360 where you mm-hmm. could publish games through there. And I made this little like puzzle platformer called City Tuesday. And that was about 2011 when I released that. And I was like, this is fun. This is this is really where it's at. And so I've just been releasing games since. That's awesome. You know, my daughter, she's eight now, and we actually have her in game design classes because she's just, she's always making up stuff. And she's using Scratch right now. And, oh, wow. Uh, which is the MIT uh, language. And uh, it's just amazing. Like, for example, we were doing this, what is it? We were sitting down, and I, I said, okay, honey, I got this idea for this game, and it's about a dog, and the dog's trying to find its way back to the house. You know, we just got a, a dog, Claudia. And, uh, and then she just went, right into it and she's like okay and there's a rainbow in front of the house and then all these people are coming and trying their arms are straight out and you have to go straight <laughs> up and if you go straight up then th- and she had like everything so i'm sitting here like writing as fast as i can all these rules. <laughs> it's amazing you know it's like it's a fascinating thing you know designing these games i think it's quite natural for us humans really you know it's it's very much a part of what we just do playtime yeah, I really think so. I mean, my son, who's only like almost three now, mm-hmm. the same son from uh, the, the original story was like, yeah. I don't know, he's he, he's not games and rules so much, but he's like, okay, dad, don't move that. Don't touch that. You know, it's not really a, a game yet, but it's like you can really see where he wants. He's constructing environment, basically, right. if he wants. I'm just I'm basically like the code. Like, I'm just moving <laughs> pieces around. You know, I'm like I'm like this giant you know, like Wizard of Oz type character, just moving stuff for him. But yeah, you can really see where they want to control an environment and build it up. So yeah, that's yeah. true. It's like a it's a total innate ability in us humans. Is this your first kid? Yeah, first and only. But uh, yeah, it's fun. What a, what a mind warp that was, huh? Oh man, it really is. Like, I don't know, it's kind of weird and sad at the same Like, you know, I was like thinking about it. Like I just took him to Disneyland and I was like, oh man, this is the best part. You know, it's like when you're watching a movie with somebody else, you're like, oh, this is going to be the good part. Like you've seen the movie before, but they haven't. You're like, oh man, wait until you see Disneyland, right? And you know what's coming and you know, you can see what's going to happen. It's like you almost get to live your own life again, it's, yeah. which is weird to say, like you should never impose your own morals on your kids and stuff you know, like that. But it really feels like you're kind of getting a second chance to watch the movie, you know? Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. How about being a creative, though? Because, you know, it's different. Like, there's, you're a creative, you know, you're not your, you're not your parents. You're not living the same kind of job they had. And you're working in front of a computer a lot. How do you manage the time? Uh, you mean with a kid or just in yeah. general? Or? With the kid and with your work. Because you also, you know, you've got a creative job. Then you're an indie game designer. And you have, and you're dead. Yeah, it's, it is That's not like... Definitely productivity is taking a hit. <laughs> like, yes. uh, I really wish that I uh, kind of got like, I don't know, you kind of feel like it, it's weird. Like by the time you're, you're my age, like almost 40, like you got like, I know my vision. You know, I like I know my style. I know what I like to do. You know, I, I got it. Whereas like I feel like my 20s, I had all the time in the world, mm-hmm. but none of the skills, none yes. of the dr- drive. I had nothing. But I think let's see, who was it? I think it. Oh, oh what's that artist? Chris, he draws those comics, those visual graphic novels. Chris Ware. Chris Ware said, like, when you become a parent, like, all your priorities get sorted immediately. And so it's like Chris Ware talked a lot about how once he became a dad, he was like, I know exactly what I need to do. Like, it, there's no fucking around. I'm sorry. Yeah. But there is nothing. Like, you can't mess up here. You've just got to get to it and just start, like, nailing stuff down. And that's kind of the way I feel too. Like, hey, when my son's asleep or I've got a free time, it's like I am working. I'm not going to be like checking Twitter or anything. So it really sharpens your priorities, yeah. Uh, which I think is really good. But yeah, you just deal with the the life you're given. That's that's great. You know, like I remember I got married late in my life, and I remember getting married as kind of like that yeah, was pretty much a sobering experience. You know, because before that I'd been. You know, I just lived my life. I did whatever I wanted. I had a you know loft in downtown LA. I had a bed that was literally on the floor 
<laughs> and I had no intentions on getting it up off the floor. <laughs> it oh didn't, man! Didn't matter how much money I made, that bed was on the floor. That was it. Yeah. I didn't, and then I get married, and you know, my wife she comes in and she's like, she brings these expectations of living, <laughs> and that sobered me up a little bit. But nothing sobered me up like having a kid. Like that, that made everything. Like I actually feel like I became a, you know, a different. Either I became an animal at that point. Like they're watching me on National Geographic, going like, and now the Papa Bear is going to, you know, or I really became a human at that point because yeah. I was different. Oh yeah, totally. It's it's I, it's something that you just gotta. I don't know. It's just fun to experience. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a game designer. You're gonna be a game designer forever. I think so. Like. I don't know. I can't wait till I can retire. Like, oh man, you know, once you're like in the old folks' home, game, doing game design, I can't wait for it. You know, I yeah. think it'll be great. That's so great. yeah, as, as long as I can move my fingers, I'm gonna be making games. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, and don't take offense because this is just my own crap. But I was like, at what point am I too old to do this? You know, and that part of me that was saying that was like, that was my dad's voice. That was like, when are you gonna get a real job, son? And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I, when am I too old to sculpt characters? Like, is there an age that that happens at? I don't know. Do you ever have that? Yeah. I don't know. I want to be like one of those old architects, you know, like, I don't know. I think I am pay. I think he was working for a long time, like yeah. way into his age. I think is uh, Geary still alive? Uh, uh, Geary, still, you know, a, still got an office. Yeah. Still got all yeah, of Yeah. Like, I, I think I got to get like, well, I think the trick is you just start wearing all black and you just, you get a there little you gray ponytail there and you're you go. good. You can just work for as long as you can. And it's just like, oh man, what an artiste. So I think <laughs> I, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wear black. You know, once I turn like 60 and I'm just going to get a little gray ponytail and then people won't, people won't question me. Okay, good. <laughs> that sounds like a perfect recipe. I love that. I know that you gotta have life goals. You gotta have life goals. <laughs> for, the, right. for the class listening, get life goals like getting a ponytail. Yes, and all black. All black, yep. All black. Yeah. I actually, because I I um I hate picking out clothes. I went I I have like twenty black t shirts. <laughs> literally <laughs> literally all I wear is black t shirts and they're expensive. So I went and I bought like black Hanes undershirts. Because oh, they're like nice. you know, five bucks each. So there we go. Hundred bucks. I'm yeah, I do. I uh, I do same. I do something very similar. Like I do all my shopping at one time. I just buy twelve shirts. Twelve, because yeah. I usually wear a button-up shirt. Twelve shirts. I iron them all at the same time, and then they all work with every thing I wear. So it's like I don't even need to think about it. Again, prioritize those things. Like I don't care about my clothes. I want to look presentable, but I don't want to fuss over it. So it's like, yeah, you, those are dad tips. Dad tips. Okay, good. And and Thomas is recommending we get a beret as well. Ooh, I like the beret. That's a, that's a good touch. <laughs> They're right, going to so be we, like, that guy is a true artiste. <laughs> exactly. If we get back to the email marketing thing, I think a couple of questions that are on my mind, especially because you know, I've got an audience of students, and I'm always telling these students that they're not students and that they're not artists. You know, They're also in control of a business. If they're going to go out there and freelance, if they're going to do X, Y, and Z, like it's not enough for them to just think artist. They also have to think that at the end of the day, they have a quote unquote brand, although I, I don't really like that word, but they have a brand. They have to think about how they present themselves and market themselves, you know, all that stuff. At what point do you think people should start thinking about things like email marketing? Oh man, I would, I would I'd try it right away. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you start making something, even if you're just chicken scratching, I would do it. It's 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 an important thing to to kind of build that audience. There's no one time where you are legit. You know, everybody's fighting for legitimacy at all times. So exactly. because there's no thing where you're like, okay, I am now an artist. Now it's time to build it. Start early because then you've got fans who'll be like, oh yeah, I was with her when she was a student. You know, and there's you've got that 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 history with that person. Let's start yeah. it right now. What about that feeling like I have nothing to say? Who am I? I'm just a student. I'm just starting out. I don't know. I think you can, you know, if you're a real storyteller, like, and, and all creators mm -hmm. basically are storytellers. Yeah. You just have to tap into it, whether you're a visual storyteller or not. I mean, to everybody listening, you, you're like a magician. Like, you're a wizard if you can just 
take something and make art out of it, you know? Mm. And there are so few people in this world that can actually do that. Like actually just take something from your brain and make art out of it. And even if it's not great, you're still learning. You are miles ahead of everybody else. And just that fact makes you interesting enough that people can follow you. And you can say on your newsletter or whatever, like, here I am. I'm going to start my 10,000 hours of perfection starting now and mm-hmm. watch me grow. And that alone, that's a story right there. Like every story, you know, what, what's the basics of any story? It's like a story arc where a character changes over time. You mm-hmm. are that story. So just just be honest and say, hey, I'm starting. I'm new. Watch me as I, I develop. And I, I follow that. I think that's really interesting. Hmm. That's a really good point. It's almost the perfect story if you start early. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's important for people, you know, the reason you follow artists, I, you know, anytime you listen to like, like success, like business success mm-hmm. podcast or, you know, read stories about people who are successful. I always like the first half when they go from nothing to yes. something. I hate it. I hate, I always stop those books or those stories once they reach their like yeah. first like $2 million and then turn it into a billion dollar company. Like who cares about that? That's the boring story. I want the stuff that's super early, you know, where they start from like nothing and go to something where they just basically earn enough to make a living. Like that is the most interesting part. So don't discount yourself really start at the beginning. Mm. That's a really good point. How do you tell stories? Do you have a way that you write these a coda or something? I think I get a coda when I get my black and black shirt ponytail. That's when I get my coda. I don't, I don't know when I'm uh, 60. That's you don't get your coda until, until I get that beret. Um, no. Um, let's see. How do I tell a story? I don't know. Like I uh, conflict, uh, fear, mm-hmm. uh, danger. Any of those are stories. So like if you're a fearful young student who doesn't have any money, that's a story right there. You just have to say it, you know, mm-hmm. put it out there. I don't, I don't know. Just, just, Juice it up a little bit. Don't lie, but you kind of have to weigh on the truth a little bit. You got to kind of bend it a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think that all that, to just, just embrace the fear. Hmm. Embrace the fear. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that a coda? Did I just think that's a coda? Yeah. Okay. You, you're, you're almost at the gray um, <laughs> ponytail. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> embrace the fear. But let's say if you're sitting like if somebody's sitting there and they're like, uh, how do I, I mean, do I write these things down and, and I'll share some of my, what I deal with, with this. Cause I write, uh, I write three emails a week right now is what we're, we're at right now. Oh, and, um, you're better at this than I am. <laughs> and, uh, when I'm sitting down, you know, is always the blank page. So what the heck do I write? When, do you write when you're feeling inspired and it's like, oh, I got to write. This is a great story. I got to share this. Do you write notes down? Like I know some writers will actually keep little notebooks with themselves. They write things down and then, you know, they're always in the act of journaling and they pull from a journal. Do you have any strategy or any way that helps you kind of get these emails put together? Yeah, I do the journaling. Like that's, that's how I do it. Like I just, I consume a lot. Like I read a lot and I listen to a lot of podcasts and mm-hmm. I watch stuff and read sites and check Twitter. And so it's just a constant input. And then I, keep a journal like i just i have a couple of notebooks like i have a, a google doc called ideas to write you know blogging ideas because mm-hmm. i have game design ideas i have blogging ideas so i just have a blogging idea thing and i just you know anytime it's a, just a scrap of a thought i'll put it in there and then once you write it down then it kind of gets into your subconscious mm-hmm. and then you know it just kind of brews and then you'll hear something that'll like really trigger it and sometimes i'll just go like like 15 minutes writing as fast as my fingers can where mm-hmm. I'll just write down all the bullet points that I want to. And I, I write it over time. Like I'll keep going back to those points and keep adding points. And then, so then I get kind of like a rough outline. It's just like a bunch of bullet points. It's like yeah. a topic idea and then a bunch of bullet points under that that are just yeah. random ideas. They almost don't make sense because I've like written them out so fast. Mm-hmm. And then I always write my emails, just, just a habit for my own emails. I always yeah. send them out on Monday morning yeah. all the time. So they just always go out on Mondays. So typically over the weekend, I'll take all those bullet points that I've gotten and I just kind of form them into a cohesive narrative, uh, you know, make them make sense and supporting arguments and stuff like that. But um, that's generally how I work. Okay, I get it. So your routine is once a week and throughout the entire week, you're gathering 
ideas and and bullet points and and then at some point either monday morning or on the weekend or friday you're sitting down to write it all out sure sure and sometimes it's not even that cohesive like sometimes i've got ideas that are on the back burner for a while you know and i'll add maybe a bullet point here and there and then i'm like you know what it's finally time to write that essay you know that blog post and so it might be deep down in my ideas journal it's just you know maybe some event happens in real life Mm -hmm. or some game comes out or something happens and then it's like, well, it's time to write it. It's appropriate now. And so then I'll pull it out. So it's never just like one week. You know, this has been one week of content. It's 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 maybe brewed for several months. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Because I've tried to keep it on a schedule and you just, it just, you kill it. It's like, it, oh yeah, you have to, I find I have to respond to the real world. Like I have to respond to something around me and it has to come through me. I cannot force myself to write crap. Yeah, because the worst part is if something happens in real life and you're like, ah, I have the perfect blog post for that. You know, you've got to be ready for that kind of stuff. So that's why I'm always like ready to do it. That's great. I remember there was this talk. I think it it was by the author who wrote Eat, Love, Pray or something like that. Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah. There we go. I knew I screwed it up. And uh, she she was talking about this one poet. It was a, her one of her TED talks, Elizabeth Gilbert. And uh, it was one of her TED talks, and she was quoting a poet who talked about how she could feel the poem coming, and she had to run to the desk to get a pen to write it out. And if she wasn't there in time, the poem just went right by her. But she had to be there at her desk writing mm. as it kind of came towards her and I and you know that made sense to me because you know it's like we we're responding to something. Oh yeah, definitely. I feel that. Like sometimes I'm. Luckily, we have phones. We don't have to run to our desk. You know, I just right punch it out on the phone. So thank God for technology on that regard, right? But That's yeah, true. I totally feel that. It's like get this stuff out. Luckily, I don't have to. It's not poetry, so I can just get the basic concepts down. But uh-huh. yeah, I totally feel that. You know, and I think that hits on the, one of the notes that Thomas Thomas just wrote something in the comments here. And he was saying, you know, he wants to learn about the marketing and all of that. But when people say marketing, they think sales. And it's so hard. Like, you know, people say email marketing, you think spam. You say marketing, you think sales. And so everybody's mm-hmm. like, nobody wants to be sold to it. And, and everybody's definition of sales is is basically the car dealership. Oh, yeah. But that's not what we're talking about, right? Oh, definitely not. No. And here's the thing is like, okay, I'm actually terrible at selling things. I don't think I'd ever like literally like if I had something in my hand and I walked into somebody and like sold it to him. I am terrible at that. I, I one time I, uh, I some guy at work was he was doing a charity, you know, like I mean, good for him for doing a charity, but he wanted everybody to like sell raffle tickets for the charity, and mm-hmm. he gave me twenty dollars worth of tickets, and he's like, Chris, can you sell these this week for the charity? And I was like, Oh God! And I I just can't sell anything, and I ended up just giving him the twenty dollars. And be like, here, I just take the twenty dollars. I don't even want to sell it. <laughs> like, I don't even like selling, and I'm in yeah. marketing stuff. Yeah. Really, what side note is, I actually won the prize for for the raffle. I actually won the raffle. <laughs> I felt bad. Okay. But I was like, there you go. Yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, it was really weird. But it was side note. That was just so total side tangent. But see, see, yeah. what I'm saying is, sometimes it pays off not to want to sell things. So, mm-hmm. um, but. What I'm saying is marketing is not really sales. Like you don't have to be someone who likes sales to be into it. It's I see it. And the way I practice it is back to the storytelling. Like I like mm-hmm. to tell stories. That's why I got into game design. That's just, I always like to write stories. So all you have to do is really, really all marketing is, is just a really organized storytelling that has like things happen. So when, and when I mean things happen is like, I want people to click this link. So I'll tell a good story so that they click that link. That's all I'm doing. And so it's just a very structured thing. Like I have goals. Like I want people to join my mailing list. So I'm going to tell this story or I want people to watch this video. So I'm going to tell this story. And all I'm trying to do is tell stories that have a reaction. And I think that's, and as long as you've got this good structure, like you have to be consistent. That's one of the things I've learned just being on the internet is consistency and showing up and always putting something out, even if you're not inspired, is the, is the key. Because there's just so many people out there and the internet's so big that if you're not regular, people will forget about you in an instant. Totally. I'll see a revenue drop if I miss one of my three days. Oh, and man. It's, it's that like, is crazy. It, yeah, it's, it is imperative. And I mean, I've been on several platforms you know, for a decade now. And 
the only one that I've been consistent at is Facebook and YouTube and, you know, all of those. I come, I go, I'll try this, I'll try that. And the only one that's really ultimately successful is Facebook, you know, which is, it's not Facebook, it's just consistency. Yeah. Yeah. That's super important. It's one of the biggest lessons I had to learn in the internet is just super consistency. You know, I like this idea though. And I think this is something that gets missed a lot because everybody says marketing and then they even like, if you were to take business classes, you're like, there's sales and marketing, right? And it's like, that's the Mm -hmm. sales and marketing department. And I've worked with consult salespeople. You work, I'm sure, with salespeople and marketing people in you know your company. These are different people, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Sales is different from marketing. Yeah, totally different. I, I learned different. that lesson too. Yep. So when we're talking about this, I know with marketing, email marketing, there is a purpose. Like we we are looking for maybe a sale. Like for example, a student of mine might do a Gumroad, and they want to sell it. So there's that angle. Like we want something from from somebody. But what I love about what you're saying is that it is about telling a story. Absolutely, it's, yeah. It's about getting into their lives and basically sharing your life. And so maybe the angle here isn't like you can't really worry about the sale, I think, when you're doing the marketing too much, although that's on your mind. Do you agree or disagree with that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So the priority. Yeah, I mean, it is hard. Like sometimes I think I write. I, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'll let you keep going with that. Sometimes you write. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you write something you think it's a banger of an email. Like, it is awesome. Like, I really put my heart into this one. And then not, no clicks. And you're like, ah! <laughs> and then sometimes you just, like, just send something out and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this went viral. Oh, that's so great. You know? So. Yeah. When you do, do you write a blog post and send people to the blog post? Or do you just write email? Or what? Do you, how do you work that? I do a lot of little things. Like, I kind of, I treat it as, I kind of talk about this. Uh, you kind of think of it as the marketing funnel. Mm-hmm. where there are things that you do that are to attract people who have never heard of you before. Right. And then what I try and do is I put all these little things out there to kind of attract people who haven't heard me. But I always try and get them back to my email list because my email list is where I do the core. And so I will do like, Imger, I just did an Imgur post that did really well. And that was top of the funnel stuff to try and get people down to my email. Or mm-hmm. I'll put stuff out on Twitter or, you know, sometimes I'll write a blog post. That's actually how I originally got it. Because, you know, how I ended up getting to talk at GDC is I I post blog posts to Gama Sutra, which is our industry. It's like the game industry, game designer, mm-hmm. industry paper. I think graphics, they post stuff in graphics there too, but it's mostly like game designers and, and game marketing and post to Gama Sutra. So I kind of do a lot of top of the funnel stuff. And then most of the time I just write out my emails for those core people who've joined my mailing list. That's where I do a lot of those. I don't typically uh, post to uh, repost those, but sometimes I do as blog posts. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, and Thomas, I think the, if I'm replying to Thomas here in the comments, uh, Thomas is saying, so it w- would it be accurate to say that authenticity is how you combat the car dealership feeling? Authenticity countering the car dealership. Yeah, I think so. Although. I think authenticity uh, in and of its, it like, especially the way it's used a lot, has its own car dealership kind of thing. It's like, I'm authentic and you have to be yeah. authentic, you know, and it becomes yeah. its own like, okay, now you're in like the car dealership and we're just like, we're masterminding your authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't think of that. And I think, I think that authenticity trap is kind of dangerous because mm-hmm. it's like, I think that's why a lot of people don't like email just out of its face value. Cause they say, Oh, that's not authentic, you know? Right. And so there's this black and white appearance of, Oh, whether you're the authentic or you're not. And I think really what it is, I don't know, to avoid the car dealership thing. I think it's just, I think it's, I don't know what, how you get away from the car dealership feel. I think what it is is just, yeah, maybe it's the storytelling aspect of it. I think, you know, I, it's, it's really hard to figure it out, but I think it's the relentlessness where you're just like constantly badgering people is what turns people off from car dealerships. Mm -hmm. Or there's that ultimatum where it's like, Hey, you make this deal or you don't, Mm -hmm. or you're going to walk away. You know, it's that brinksmanship. And really, I think the reason I like email is you've got people and it's not so time limited. You know, you're not trying to put the hard sell on people. Like I have people on my mailing list who've been on there for months and months and months before they buy one of my games. And with email, it's not so time limited. You're not constantly forcing them. It's just eventually you just build such a relationship with them that they eventually just buy your game because they like you. 
And that's right. maybe where it differs. How I feel confident that I'm not being a car salesman because I'm not like, bye, 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 bye. It's, it's really building that relationship with people. Mm. And maybe that's authenticity. Maybe that is true. Maybe that's, that's me being authentic. I don't know. That makes sense. I think a lot of this in terms of education marketing too, you know, because it's, we're not trying to sell. We're just trying to educate. And that to me is actually, you know, I don't know if that's the right word to use or not, but like, that's what motivates me a lot because I'm a teacher at heart. So, you know, I don't want to sell something to somebody. I want to educate them. And in educating them, if they feel like that actually is worth them taking a class, that's a win for everybody, really. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally agree because that is such a good insight about teaching somebody. And that's such a great way of thinking about it. Because if you've got something to sell, whether you know, you're know you an artist and you're trying to sell your abilities, you're really trying to say, like, let me teach you about all these neat things that I have done. Like you, you know, you have great works of art and great, you know, designs, and you just want to show people and you want to show all the little things that you've done that they don't see right away. I love doing those kind of blog posts where I teach people all the design tricks that I put into my games that Mm -hmm. they didn't see at face value. Mm -hmm. And by teaching them about that stuff, they say, whoa, that sounds so neat. I want to buy this because I I learned how high quality it is. You know, like a lot of salesmen always talk about quality. Oh, look at how quality this is. This is the best metal. And it's made out of, you know, artisanal, I don't know, handcrafted or whatever. But really, you know, if you teach somebody the work that you put into it, you're essentially marketing that quality. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an excellent point of you should really look at it as, as teaching somebody something. And once you've got their email, that's permission to continue. This is somebody who wants to learn from you. Exactly. Yep. Beautiful thing. You put in funnels. So funnels, it was a part of your talk and it starts to get like people into this conversation of sales and marketing. That's where they can go sideways on this. But if we looked at the idea of funnels in terms of education, does that, I think, help explain like what the purpose is of an opt-in page and then into the value page? Like, how do you see funnels fitting into the the life here? Yeah. So if anybody doesn't know, a marketing funnel is just is basically think of people who would find out about you as being like mm-hmm. liquid water being poured onto you, which is kind of weird. And basically what you do is your funnel is all this kind of surrounding stuff of getting people to actually pay for whatever it is, like whether that's hire you or pay for maybe an art print or something. But the bottom of the funnel is them paying for something. And the top of the funnel is them just being like slightly curious mm-hmm. and basically the way I approach marketing and and in between is all the steps. Like you're slowly making them want more and more of what you're offering before they finally go buy it. And kind of the storytelling and teaching aspect is really you get them deeper and deeper in the, in teaching them, you know, at the top, you might be like one one level one one type stuff. And like, Oh, that's good information. And you know, every time you learn something, you learn what you don't know. And so that's what you do you keep teaching more and more, whether it's about yourself, about your brand, about what you do. And so that's what really moves them down the funnel towards they finally do whatever you want them to do. And that's, it really is that teaching. And that's where email kind of gives you that tether to them so that you can keep communicating to them where it's really hard. If if you don't have any way to reach them, it's really hard to get back in contact with them. I mean, you can hope to tweet enough that maybe they follow you, but It's just really hard to get in touch with people again. So it's really hard to keep that cohesiveness, to keep moving them and keep reminding them of of what's going on down the funnel. What do you think artists should do today now if they're going to, because when you start researching email marketing and all of this, I don't want to just bring this topic up and like leave people on their own. What do you think somebody should do if they're going to go out and research this and maybe start to set up their own funnel? What's your recommendation for that process? Are we talking about like... Do you recommend a particular piece of software like Active Campaign versus I use Confusionsoft, which is like which is ancient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Infusionsoft is the yes. proper name, but uh, no, that's like so I would say. keep I would keep it super dead simple. I mean, yeah. like I don't know, like I think Mailchimp—they've just recently realigned their pricing, but Mailchimp is like a really easy one to get into. Mm. Um, I that's one I use. I don't love it. I mean, I like it enough, but one that's just decent priced, but the most important thing basically, so if you don't know, like you have to have a hosted form to those listening, you have to have a hosted form where it says like, Hey, join my mailing list. All mail 
email service providers like the MailChimps, ConvertKit is one. There's tons of them out there, but Tiny Letter, I think, is like a super free one that doesn't do a whole lot. But basically, you just need a form where they sign up and like you can put it on your website or you can put it on your Twitter handle and then link to it. Or like if you've got, what is it? ArtStation is where you all hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere where you host your portfolio, you put that on there. And you basically need some little key to kind of get people to join. And we call that a lead magnet in the marketing terms. But you all are artists, so you just produce gold just by things. So like it's just magic. So what you do is you maybe like assemble your best images in a nice little art book and then maybe like give a little few words for each image that you have describing what it is and how you got there. You package that up as a PDF and say, hey, get download my art book when you join my mailing list. And so you just need a little, little carrot to get people to join your mailing list. That's what mm-hmm. that PDF would be. And then people are going to join it in higher numbers because people don't just join a mailing list and then let's say get something. So you just right. have to kind of give that thing and then they join it. And then you just do it regularly. That's the most important thing is consistency, where you just got to be on the regular. Like I have a Google calendar reminder that just regularly reminds me, don't forget to write your newsletter this weekend. And then that's my key. You just be consistent, keep that form posted everywhere, and you're good to go. Just tell your story. I think it's worth mentioning as well that that form is essential. And, you know, there's all kinds of compliance. Like you want people to come through that form because it's really hard. Like, let's say if you were to just like, well, I don't even think you can do this today. I mean, you can't gather emails in a spreadsheet. It's super hard to gather emails in MailChimp and then say, move those over to active campaign. Like even movements like that become very problematic. So you really want to pick your platform and like, you know, just chill. Yeah. Yeah. But don't get too scared. I mean, it is tricky to move. Yeah. But I think it's a lot harder for us that are like running these big businesses. If it's just your, yeah, you know, if it's just your artist and it's you, I mean, you just got to keep your receipts for that stuff. I mean, that's the one reason I like email marketing is because it is much more mobile than Twitter. Because one of the things that I'm posting is a lot of people think that, oh, well, I'm on social media like Facebook or Twitter or something. But some of these platforms, they go crazy. Like Twitter could collapse. Who knows? They could go out of business or something. Mm-hmm. And then if you built up a huge following on Twitter, guess what happens? You just lost all those followers that you all had of them for no, no reason how, of your own. Yeah. How many people invested, you know, a year plus in Vine and that's gone? It's, yeah, exactly. And you can't just say, oh, I'm just going to export my Twitter followers and upload them to Facebook. Like <laughs> you just can't like that's that doesn't even make sense because. <laughs> you're either on Twitter or you're not. Like you're not. It's not like by you doing something, everybody's just going to migrate over to Facebook or whatever. That just right. it, that doesn't even make sense. But yeah. with email, all they know is regularly something comes into my email box with your name on it. They have no idea if you're using Infusionsoft or Mailchimp or Tiny Letter or whatever. And so, yeah, it is a pain, and I, I totally agree with you. But you can move your email list as long as you're keeping your receipts and everything. You can move them between service providers, and your audience has no idea. And mm-hmm. so that's one thing I want to keep students to understand is just do it. You know, like I talk to a lot of people and they deliberate for too long on which platform to pick. And it, it doesn't matter that much, mm-hmm. you know, and they deliberate too long. And instead of deliberating, they should have just picked one and, and just started emailing, you know. And so I would say, if you're thinking about it, spend one weekend, you get one weekend to decide which platform. And then you pick it. Just so you get two days to research, yeah. decide, pick it, and then move on and just start emailing your list and start building it. Because you can spend too much time worrying about the wrong thing. Really, what you should be doing is is worrying about what you're going to send people and and creating great content and you know doing your art. That's the most important thing. Not mm-hmm. figuring out which service provider you should use. I love that idea of basically the emails about you owning your platform. Yep. If you're on Twitter, Twitter owns it. They own everything about it. In fact, you're their audience. You're the reason why they're making money. I mean, Facebook, you're the audience. Exactly. Yep. I mean, if you think about it, like, what's the phrase? If you don't pay for it, you're the product. Yeah. You know, if you're on Twitter and you are creating stuff and you've got a Twitter following and you're not paying for it, that's dangerous. Whereas, like, you don't know what your data is being used for. They're they're selling you and your data to Mm -hmm. advertisers and stuff. But I pay for my service provider. And with that payment, I know that they are not trying, they're not using some other monetization scheme on me. Like right. they make their money from me paying them. And I think that's just a very clear transaction. And that's that kind of comfort that 
really helps you build a business. Mm. What about platforms? Because there's new platforms out there that kind of blur the line here, but you still don't own it. Like Patreon, you don't own that, but it blurs the line in terms of the connection. Yes, Patreon's an excellent example because they just recently changed their rates. You know, uh-huh. like uh, their cut. I think you used to get ten percent, or really charge ten percent. I don't know. I'm not on Patreon, and there there was a big brouhaha about that. And I totally agree. That's why I'm I'm nervous about getting on Patreon, but. Here's the thing I would do is I would make sure they join my mailing list and then I would offer a Patreon because <laughs> I have go. a feeling, you know, if Patreon has a problem, if they end up charging too much for their service or something, there's always like a slight competitor to Patreon. And mm-hmm. yeah, you're going to get a cost to move them, but, you know, move your audience. But yeah, if you've got your email address, you've got contact with those people. So yeah, be very cautious about stuff like Patreon. That makes sense. You know, and I remember several years ago, Udemy and some of these like Skillshare, they were coming up and they looked like these great platforms. But, you know, each one of those had their own problems when they started to change their rates. Right. I remember a big, huge thing with Udemy where they, you know, I understand why and the mechanics of it all. But, you know, they did change what they paid people. And then for some people, it was pretty substantial. Oh, yeah. What yeah, do do? I don't know. But uh, I, I haven't followed that scene. But yeah, usually anything that's like a, a startup, it's dangerous because at first they're making money off of investors. You know, investors are paying money. They don't care about their money. And then once they kind of get old enough where the investors aren't giving them money anymore and they need to start like getting their own money, you know, start making money, that's when things start changing. So when you early adopt on these platforms, you just have to be cognizant of the risk. I'm not saying don't do it, but make it not your full business. Make it just part of your business. All right. I think we've run the gamut here. I mean, uh, I understand if somebody's a little bit confused on what the whole email conversation is. So why don't we take a second and see if Thomas feels like he's a little bit clear. And if anybody's got any questions that's here live with us, give me a quick yes, no, folks, if you've got clarity on what this is that we're talking about in terms of email marketing. My goal here today was to really introduce this conversation, which I just don't hear a lot of people having. I mean, I think Chris would agree with me. You know, the creators are, in my view, we are unbelievably perfectly primed to communicate with each other via email marketing and sell a gum road, sell a product, sell a class, all in a just like a wonderful environment. We're like perfectly primed to do that. So I'm like down for everybody here in this one live, everybody in my audience to start email marketing because you're just talking to each other. It just allows you to go from instead of you talking one to one, you're talking one to a thousand or one to, you know. 10,000. Any questions? Ryan, you follow. Thomas. Thomas saying he feels better. Now it's just a matter of what to sell. (laughs) And uh, tell me what you think, Chris. My response to Thomas is what to sell would be just start sharing. I agree. Here's the thing is I actually run two newsletters. One Mm -hmm. is for my games. And obviously, I'm trying to sell my next game. I'm trying to sell some new sale that I've got going on my games. Yeah. My other one is email marketing. And I'm not selling anything. Like, I mean, someday I might sell some consulting. Someday I might have a book that I want to sell. Someday I might have a class like on Udemy or whatever, whatever is the hottest <laughs> platform. But I don't know. I don't I'm not selling a product. All I'm doing for this list is just talking about how I'm doing this and tips and things that I've learned. And that mailing list actually has a higher open rate, has a higher click through for the email thing where I'm not selling anything. It's just because I'm just talking about stuff. So you don't need to sell anything. Like I know it's email marketing and selling stuff, but all you're doing is just the strategy I would do is you're just writing about your process and what you've learned along the way and the progress you're making. And you don't even know where that's going to turn. Like I got introduced to people like industry, big wig industry game designers are joining my mailing list. And it's like, I've got the ear of these people. And I know that I can go contact them and say, hey, I want to work for you or something. I, mm-hmm. You know, I've got mm-hmm. a connection. And so by doing this, you're not, don't even go in trying to sell something. You're just trying to build up your credibility and your name and who you are without even selling anything. And, and the opportunities will come out of it without you even knowing what the next one's going to be. That's how I got talks. That's how I, I got invited to do these talks that I've done and, uh, and other opportunities. So. It started even if you're not going to sell anything. Just talk about who you are and what you've learned. And people will follow you. It just happens. It's wonderful. 
It's beautiful. And <laughs> beautiful. I love it, man. I'm really inspired. And I'm so glad to hear you sharing this and getting this out in front of people because I can't think of a more powerful medium to get those connections with people. So thank you. Great. Yeah, yeah, no time, no problem. And if, if the class has any questions, you know, they can email me directly. Uh, Where do they find you? Email address. Well, just email me. I A M Chris Zukowski, all one word, at gmail.com. I've got a website called howtomarketagame.com. You can just go to that. And those are the big things. And my mailing list is on that, howtomarketagame.com. You can sign up for it there. But yeah, if you have any questions, that's it. All right, we got one more question. How long is a typical email? Do you ever have like a word count or page count or something you use? I let it fly. I just let it go. Like sometimes (laughs) the longer emails actually do better because... Yeah, it's weird, huh? You've got this like uh, audience and it's there and and sometimes it's good. Like now with artists, you know, talk about your process, go into it. That's the great thing about email is you've got their attention. There's not Mm -hmm. all these other tweets, not all these other Facebook things, not all these, all things hitting you up. You're in their email. You're in their brain for a while. So live in it, stretch out. Sometimes you might want to just send an email. It's just a picture of your awesome, you know, sculpt that you've done. Is that a term? A sculpt? A mm-hmm. sculpture? Mm-hmm. You just uh, just send a picture of that. Maybe that's the whole email that week. Other times you might want to write a whole essay about your process. That's Things awesome. like that. That's, you can experiment with it. All right, Chris, man. Thank you so much for sharing. Great. I am so glad you had me on. Uh, it was great talking to you all. Great talking to you. All right, guys, thanks for joining in here live and uh, have an awesome week. I will see some of you in uh, classes and we've got a couple more podcasts this week. But again, Chris, man, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, take care. All right. So I want to thank you so much for being here, for taking the time and for listening to this podcast. And I want to ask a couple of things from you. Number one, make sure you leave a comment or you rate this on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is that you're getting this. That's going to make a big difference in helping us get the word out and get people to know who we are. All right. The other thing is I want to make sure you know where to find us. So you can head over to www.gameartinstitute.com where you can learn about our flagship program, which is the Game Artist Bootcamp. This, this is designed for those who are really looking to move the needle on their career and really lock in that job. You may have gone to school and learned a bunch, maybe haven't learned a bunch, But at the Game Art Institute, the primary focus we have is the very specific industry skills, the triggers that you really need to hit in that job interview. What are the specific things that they're looking for? That's what we're going to be training you on. We're taking applications right now for environment artists and for character artists. So make sure you head over to www.gameartinstitute.com and apply today. That way we can have that conversation, make sure this is a fit for you, make sure that you're a fit for it. And if everything is perfect, then we will sign you up for that right away and get you into your training and start moving the needle on your career. All right. Thank you so much again for being here. Take care. Have an amazing day.